I want to share a thought from that particular verse. Uh, last session that we were together, we talked about believing and knowing. And I, I shared with you, uh, we have a lifelong friend that has been wrongly incarcerated. He has spent 17 years in a maximum security prison, uh, been given a 47-year sentence. Uh, we need a miracle. And as we communicate two or three times a week, I try to go at least every two months to visit with him. Uh, but every time he calls me on the phone, he will say, Pastor, do you believe that I'm coming home? Do you believe I'm going to be released? And I said, I believe. The last time I was with him while we were there in the, uh, in the prison uh, uh, cafeteria or visit, visitation room, he said, Pastor, do you believe that I'm coming home? I said, John, I don't just believe. I know. I know you're coming home. And I found another level, the believing, the believing level of faith, and then there's the knowing level of faith. And today I'll introduce a third level of faith. And the person that kind of prompted me to go in this direction is not here this morning. She is uh, she's at Warrior Fest. But uh, Wednesday she was very uh, disheartened, very downtrodden, very discouraged, very depressed, uh, had found some major challenges with her car, had spent quite a bit of money fixing it. It didn't solve the problem, and there were some more issues with the car. And then there was issues with the root canal, with the, having the teeth being pulled, and uh, there were some, some other issues job-related. And as she began to share Wednesday her, her woes, uh, something inside of me began to click, and I just began to just intercede in prayer for her. I tried to encourage her there on the spot, pray with her on the spot. But uh, I found in the Word of God in Daniel 7.25, uh, Daniel has a prophetic word for this generation. It wasn't for 2,000 years ago. It was for today. And it said, in the last days, the number one goal of the enemy will be to wear out the saints of the Most High, to wear you out, to put so much burden on you, so much weight on you, such a load on you that it feels impossible to carry. You feel overwhelmed. Uh, your days get mixed up with your nights. You should be sleeping at night. You're up. You should be working during the day. You're sleeping. And it seems like that it's coming in from north, south, east, and west. Can anybody relate? Have you ever been in that kind of storm? Ever felt like that, that all, all hope? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But uh, the reason that the enemy tries to attack your hope, if he can attack your hope, he can attack your faith and he attacked the results that God has for you in your life. And uh, in Acts, the 27th chapter, we've shared this story uh, at length, and I do not intend to do that today, but I just want to paint a picture. Against counsel, uh, a shipmaster put his boat to sail and uh, hit a storm. And uh, it was uh, probably one of the worst storms mentioned in the Bible. There are 11 different storms in the Bible. Probably one of the worst storms mentioned in the Bible and the statement has been made in Acts 27, I believe it's 20, 20. The Bible said, or Paul says, the sun had not shined for many days, and all hope that we would be saved was lost. The sun had not shined for many days, and all hope that we would be saved was lost. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. 
where you felt like that it was just so gloomy and so cloudy and so moody and so stormy that you absolutely gave up. You threw in the towel, you gave up. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but there have been seasons in my life where I felt like just overwhelmed, just, and the anxiety and the anxiousness and the, and the, and the, the bad reports, the bad reports kept coming in, and it seemed like that there were no good reports and everything was negative, and I was operating in the negative. I know you've never been there. I'm probably the only one that can relate to that. But it was like, it was like the air had been let out of my balloon. Anybody relate? All my faith, all my confidence was shot. And, uh, and, and you, when things happen like that, sometimes if you're not careful, like the dog returning to its vomit, if you're not careful, you'll go back and you will regress and you won't grow and you won't mature. And it's a real bad place to be. All hope that we would be saved was lost. And the person stating this is the one that wrote almost half of the New Testament. It was the one that was caught up into heaven and had a vision. It was one that was stoned and left for dead. It was, the, it was Paul who saw Christ on the road to Damascus and had his name changed. It was Paul who had all the truths in Galatians and Ephesians and all the, all the love in Romans and Corinthians. And the guy that wrote what, what we live by today had come to a place where all hope in his life was lost. So don't get discouraged today and because you hit a snag or you hit a slump. Don't, don't feel like that you're at the bottom of the barrel. Don't feel like that you're not important, that you're not useful, because the greatest of God's champions have been in storms of depression and fear and worry and jail and prison and death. And here the Apostle Paul said, all hope that we would, he includes himself, that we would be saved was lost. But it goes on to say, there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whose I serve, and who I believe. And from looking at Paul's statement, when the angel appeared to Paul, the angel told Paul, everything's going to be okay. There will not be a single life lost. You're going to lose all of the cargo. You're going to lose all of the equipment on the ship, but not a single person on this boat is going to die. And we know that what happened just a few hours later, the ship hit a sandbar. They realized they were in shallow water. They realized there was an island close by. They all jumped into the, to the water. The ship was broken to pieces. They held on to pieces of the ship, and they made their way to the shore. And what, what Paul prophesied came to pass. Not one single person was lost because Paul had a relationship with someone he knew about. And when I think about when Paul said, I, the angel of the Lord, whose I am. Paul knew who he belonged to. Do I have a friend in the house? When you know you belong to God and you know that he has adopted you into his family, then you can quote the scripture, if God be for us, then who can be against us? And no matter how bad things are, when you come to conclusion that God doesn't make junk, that, you're, that you were preordained before the foundation of the world, you were predestined before the foundation of the world, God had a purpose and a plan for your life, and I just share with someone that had a baby out of wedlock. It happens a lot. It doesn't mean that that baby is cursed. God intended for that baby to be here. God may have wanted that baby to enter with a different set of a different a different way. But God submits sometimes to our will. How many knows that sometimes God adjusts our mistakes and God adjusts our messes and He makes it work out for our good. What the enemy intended for evil, God worked for your good. I've met people that, that, that felt like because they were a bastard child that they had no worth, they had no value, 
and I let them know Jesus paid a price that you would have worth, that you would have value. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. Paul believed. Paul knew who he was in relationship with. He knew who he belonged to. And then Paul goes one step further and said, he is a God that I serve. He is a God that I worship. He's a God that I love. He's a God that I talk to. He's a God that's a part of my life. It's not just important to confess Christ as your Savior. It's not just important to repent of your sins, but it's important to begin to learn and to grow and to walk in the fullness and the things that God has for you. And God has given us such a cool map, cool directions. That's yesterday I refused to read directions, and uh, Pastor Rhonda had a long day, and uh, she wasn't really irritated at me. She was just irritated, and uh, we were trying to put the feet on the stand she bought me a new fan because my fans, my fans burn up. And so she bought me a new fan, and this fan had feet, and there was a little slot that you put the, you put the thing in. And uh, the, the, the hole that I saw, Kelly, wouldn't, it wouldn't go in. I'm trying to force the sucker in, and, uh, and it wasn't supposed to go in like this. It was supposed to go in like that. And Pastor Rhonda came in and grabbed the box and said, <laughs> Let me read the directions. Let me look. And she looked at a picture, and she figured, she figured it out. Uh, there are many of us that we refuse to read the directions. How many can relate? And I remember, I remember being a young father, buying swing sets and buying strollers and buying things for my children, and I would tear into the box, and I paid absolutely, I didn't even, I, I, I could care less than I had directions. I'm a man. I can handle this. I can put this thing together. And, and, lo, and lo and behold, it's like when you get done, I know this never happens to you, but Gene, on some of my major projects, when I get done, there are several leftover parts. And I'm thinking to myself, this company is wasting money hiring people, putting stuff in boxes that don't need to be here. Look at all these parts that I didn't need. And sometimes I consider a home run if I have a lot of parts and I still got the thing together. Can, any, can anybody relate? But God has given us a, a guide. He's given us a map. He's given us direction. He's given us counsel. And that's what Paul was saying. I, I don't just belong to him, and I know I belong to him, but I serve him. And I serve him, why? Because I believe he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says that he can do. And the Apostle Paul said, not only do I belong to him, and not only do I serve him, but I believe him. And Linda got to thinking about some of the things that I believe in. I believe in a hill called Calvary. I believe in a man called Jesus. I believe in the old rugged cross. I believe he was born a virgin. I believe he lived a spotless life. I believe he died a horrible death. But I believe that there's going to be a glorious resurrection and return. And every eye shall see him. And we're going to rise up to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to leave this carnal body. And we're going to put on that that celestial body that he has given us from the foundation of the world and we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth I'm here to tell you today that I am a believer I know Job said I know that my redeemer liveth and shall stand in the latter day upon the earth Paul said I know in whom I believe and persuaded these able to keep those things he's promised so here we find another level of faith. And when I think about levels, I think about as a sophomore in high school, uh, 1970, I learned how to drive. Uh, matter of fact, my, my driving instructor, the only reason she passed me was because she's afraid to 
go through another semester of my driving. And, uh, but I, I got my driver's license, and uh, my parents in, in 1970 had purchased a 1969 Chevy station wagon. But it wasn't just any normal station wagon. It, had a, it was a station wagon that was three on the tree. How many, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I know, no, how many know what I'm talking about? Three on the tree. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? What in the world does three on the tree mean? It meant that it was a stick shift, and it had a clutch, and the, and the, and the, and the gears were on the column, and you put it down in, in, in low, and you let the clutch out. And I'd hate to tell you, my dad hated it even more, but before I learned how to master it, Gene, I burned out two clutches because it was hard to get the clutch and the, and the brake and the gas. And then if you're on a hill, don't you hate it where you're in a stick shift and you're on the hill and you're afraid you're going to roll back and then you let the gas out and you flood it and you burn and you can smell the clutch and, and you can say, well, thank God I, I didn't die. I may have burnt the clutch up, but thank God I didn't die. But it had that low gear. And I'll tell you what, I believed in that low gear. I knew that low gear had the power to get me where I needed to go. And then I would push it up into a second. And I, 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 I transitioned from believing to knowing, hey, I'm halfway there. I got it in the second gear. Then when I brought it all the way down in third, I was fully persuaded that I was going to be able to do what I was supposed to do in that vehicle. And there's, there's where Paul introduces us. He said in Acts, he said, I am fully persuaded. So you've, we've got this level of, I believe that's the low gear, and then I know that's the second gear, and then I throw it into third, and that's the gear that I am fully persuaded that he's able to complete what he has prophesied in my life. And I, on a footnote, which isn't that important, but I went to a, my parents took me out of public school my second, second semester sophomore, and uh, they sent me to a, uh, a wealthy school and I had a job. I had about 13 lawns, and I paid my own way to my Christian school. I bought my own clothes. I was very independent at a very young age. And, but uh, I went to a school of rich kids. Uh, my peers were so rich that uh, Carol and Carl, they were twins, the Jackson, the Jackson twins. Uh, when they turned 16, their dad got them. Carl got a green, uh, not a, uh, help me, uh, oh, goodness. I'll think of it in a minute. No, it was like a roadrunner. It, like, it, it wasn't a charger. It wasn't a roadrunner. It was a, anyway, he got a lime green. Now we're all going, we're stopped. We're, okay, let me, okay, it wasn't a roadrunner. It wasn't a charger. It wasn't a Mustang. It wasn't, I'll think of it. It was a, anyway, he got a green one. He got a, he got a green one and she got a brown one. Her, hers was chocolate brown and his was lime green. And my friend Dave Williams, he got a 72 Stingray Corvette. And my friend Anthony, he got a brand new dune buggy. And my, and my friend George, he got a Mach 1 Mustang. And, every, and the cars in the parking lot, were there were all these hot rods and all these muscle cars. And, and parked right in the middle was this big, long station wagon. But guess what? All the girls wanted to ride with me because I had a stick ship. And they just thought that was so amazing that I would have to, it just, it just made me important. And I would drive them around the block and I would burn rubber and I would rev it up and throw it down and then I'd try to find water. And I, I know none of you ever did that to show off. But man, that thing would burn rubber all the way from first gear to second gear. And that's probably why not only did I burn out two clutches, but I also fried a transmission. But let me tell you something. I went in style, and everybody wanted to hang out with me because I had the cool car. That had nothing to do with the next, the next step that we're going into. But as Paul realized that he believed and he knew, if you will look with me real quick at Romans 8. 
And while you're going to Romans 8, I just want to reiterate last week, 1 John 5. Let me read this. and Let's find the believe and know in here. These things have I written you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know if you have eternal life, that he may believe on the name of the Son of God. Two times the word believe, one times the word know. And then John said this, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. John is telling us that as you begin to believe and walk in the fullness of God, you can have in that, in that knowledge, you can know the things of God, and it kind, of sign, it kind of seals the deal. Can anybody relate? It's just like, it's like a one-two punch. And then, and then all of a sudden, over here in Romans 8, let me find it real, real quick. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, persecution, death? Let me find it. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or necklace or peril or sword? Watch this. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am, say it with me, persuaded. I am persuaded. So we believe, we know, and then we are persuaded. Pers persuasion is almost something that you, it's like you need to be talked into. And, 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 and there are, there's experiences that makes you persuaded that you can do or you can have or you can say. And I was thinking about some of the things that I was persuaded in. I am persuaded in the fact that my wife loves me. I'm persuaded in the fact that my children adore me. I'm persuaded in the fact that I am operating in the call that I'm supposed to be operating in. And let me tell you something, that had to be a persuasion. I loved the road. I loved waking up in Honolulu one morning and Yakima, Washington the, the next morning. I loved traveling the nation. I loved most of the countries I visited in the world. I loved that. This church was birthed at the conclusion of an eight-week revival where there are over 500 decisions for the Lord. That's how I rolled. That's what I loved. That's what I enjoyed. I, I would come in, and Kelly, I would love them, and then I would leave them. And I left the pastor there to take care of all the damage that I had done as an evangelist. You say, well, can evangelists do damage? Absolutely. When you go in, the power of God, the fire of God, and you create an appetite, if that pastor was lazy or that pastor wasn't fo focused, it forced that pastor to step up to the plate and to, and, and to provide what they received in the revival. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I irritated or offended or upset in any way, shape, or form that there are several seats empty because of Warrior Fest? Absolutely not. Because next week there won't be a Warrior Fest, and we'll be right here and be preaching the same message, singing the same song, believing the gospel, and raising up leaders that's able to work at Winter Fest and able to go on the road and travel and minister. Do I have a friend in the house? For, he says, for I am persuaded. Now watch what he's persuaded. That neither death let me stop there just for a moment. I had a real struggle when Angel went to be with the Lord. I have not talked to them personally, 
But I've been told there are people in my life that can't, can't come back to church because they can't get over Angel's death. Right at the time that Angel died, there was another friend of mine that I led to the Lord that was at a place where he shouldn't have been, and he was drinking what he shouldn't have drank, and he left a bar and his car out of control, Corvette, he wrapped it, he literally wrapped it around the tree. Then to pry his body out of the vehicle. He broke a couple ribs and broke his ankle, but he lived. My question to God, why did you allow this one to live and allow Angel to die? And God, I felt like God say, because Angel was ready. Because Angel was ready. And you know what? I accepted that. I didn't have to like that. I, did, I didn't have to. I, does that make sense? I mean, faith never wasted. We really believed that God touched him. We believed that God was going to raise him up. And to the very last hour of his life, we believed that. But when he died, it didn't shake my faith because Angel had arrived at his final destination. The, the goals that all that we had, he actually has accomplished. He is there. He's in heaven. And I have no clue what he's up to, but he's probably going around saying, what's up? <laughs> And there's something that needs to be done in heaven. I promise you, angels right in the middle of it. Now, the guy that wrapped his car around the post, he's not living for the Lord right now. Should something happen to him, he could face, he could face eternity without God. So it's my goal before he gets another wreck or whatever that I make sure he's secure. I make sure that he's, that he's strong in the Lord. And I, and I contact him every week and pray with him and communicate with him over Facebook, let him know you need to be in the house of God. God spares your life. The devil hates you, wants to take you out. And that's a scary place to be, to be divinely saved and then not follow the things of God because the plan of the enemy wasn't thwarted. The plan of the enemy is to take you out any possible way that he can. And if he failed at one place, then he will try at another. Does that make sense? You watch the attack coming against Job. It was threefold. The enemy came this direction, this direction, and this direction. And if you're not walking where you need to be walking, you've got a target on your back, and the devil hates you. He's terrified of you. He hates your anointing. He hates your future. He hates your destiny. He hates your legacy. And he'll do everything he can to wear you out, wear you down, distract you, get you back in, a, in, that, in that web of sin, and get you back in that place where you're lost. So, so here's what Paul's saying. I am persuaded that even death can't separate me from the love of God. And then he said, not just death, but life. And you know what? If we're not careful, we get so caught up in life that we miss the things of God. I have people in my life that they are workaholics. The job is the most important thing. And they'll work seven days a week. They'll work hours upon hours because they're living for the almighty dollar. They're all caught up in life. They're caught up in keeping up with the Joneses or whoever that might be, making sure they have nice cars, nice clothes, nice house. And, and God doesn't have a problem with any of that. But I believe you can do that Monday through Friday, Saturday and take off and chill with your kids, and Sunday go to the house of God and worship. I just believe that. I'm a firm believer of that. And if you have to work on Saturday, understand all of that. But don't let life or the love of life or the love of money keep you from pursuing the things of God and pursuing the love of God. Amen. I'm preaching good now. Not just death, not just life, nor angels. 
The Bible says the devil comes himself as an angel of light. And you've got to be careful things that are introduced to you and things that are suggested to you that it sounds like a good thing, but it's not a good thing. It's a trick of the enemy to distract you and settle second best instead of receiving God's best for your life. He wants to degrade you, dishonor you. He wants to downplay the things of God. And even an angel, Paul said, I'm not going to let distract me from the things of God. And then he says, nor principalities. We know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. There is assignment the enemy has is to distract you, to take you out, to take you down, to wear you out, to frustrate you. And Paul said, I am not going to let the cares of life keep me from being separated from the love of God. And then he talks about powers. And all the powers that be. We know there's all kinds of powers in this world. There's the power of suggestion. And, there, and there's the enemy tries sometimes mentally to mess us up and to give us wrong thought patterns and think wrong things. And as you think in your heart, so are you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you think about it long enough, you'll start speaking it. And if you're not careful, it will tear you up. I have someone in my life I love very much. She hasn't been in church in a long time. And she told a friend of mine, she said, I never should have missed that first Sunday. But she's missed that first Sunday. She hasn't been here in almost a year. But she, can, she has convinced herself that she can't come back because she's gone so long. She's the very one that needs to come back. She's the one that needs to plug back in and tack back in. But there are powers of, there are powers of suggestion and powers at work that their only goal is to keep you separated from the things of God and the love of God. Amen. Then he goes on to mention, nor things present nor things to come, your future. Don't let your future mess you up. Don't let what you're going through right now mess you up. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I am persuaded, and I'm more than a conqueror. Well, I got to reflecting on that, and I got to pondering, how can you be more than a conqueror? A conqueror is cool. Hello? Isn't it great to win the battle and, and, and cheer and shout and all those spoils of battle? But Paul said, you're not just, I'm not just a conqueror, David, but I'm more than a conqueror. Well, Jennifer, how in the world are we more than a conqueror? Well, since I asked the question, let me try to answer it. I want us this morning just for a few minutes to assume that Pastor Todd is the welterweight, heavyweight champion boxer in America. He is the man. He has defeated every, every competition. He's won every boxing match. He is, the, he is USA's finest. He is, he is the man. Russia, the boxing syndicate of Russia, contacts Pastor Todd. And they challenge him to a 15-round boxing match to determine who's going to be the champion of the world. So we got the champion of America and the champion of Russia bouting for who's going to be the greatest in the world. It's a $1 million purse for the winner. Pastor Todd accepts the challenge. He goes into training. He starts eating right. He starts drinking right. He starts sleeping right. He removes every single, he removes almost every single ounce of fat from his body. He turns them into a mean, lean fighting machine. The day comes. They're in the ring. They go after each other, pounding and punching and pounding. Round one, round two. A couple of times he staggered, but he was okay. 
finally in the closing round, the closing round, the 15th round, in just the last few seconds, Pastor Todd delivers an uppercut to the jaw of the Russian champion, and he goes down, knocked out for the count, and, and Pastor Todd is declared the champion of the world. And they turn around and they give him a check for $1 million. Now notice this. Pastor Todd goes home and takes that million-dollar check and gives it to Misty. Misty never lifted weight. She never went on a diet. She never trained. But, but, but Todd was the conqueror because he defeated the enemy. But Misty was more than a conqueror because she didn't do anything. Todd did it all because Christ conquered Calvary because Christ is the champion of the world. He's the conqueror. He gives us the keys of heaven. And now we who didn't go to Calvary, we didn't get striped. We didn't get beat. We, didn't, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Do I have a friend in the house today? So there's this, there's this shift. I believe. Even the demons believe. People believe that cigarette smoking is harmful to their health. They believe that. They still smoke. People believe that fats are bad for your body. They believe that, but they still eat. So there's a transition between belief and know. And when you transposition into that know, all the promises of God's word comes to pass. And then when you get to a place in your life where nothing can talk you out of his provision, nothing can talk you out of his favor, nothing can talk you out of his blessing, then you become not just persuaded, but you become fully persuaded that God is able to do what his word says that you can do. There are three mindsets that attack that philosophy, that attack that theology, that attack that, 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 that truth. And the Apostle Paul encountered all three of them. The Apostle Paul was ministering, and he was talking to Herod, and he was talking to Herod about salvation, about the cross, the blood of Jesus. And, the Apostle, and Herod said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. There are many people in my life, they're almost persuaded. They're almost talked into it. They're almost ready to submit. They're almost ready to commit. I meet them almost on a daily basis. You know, committing to church an hour and a half a week and sowing one-tenth of your income and praying a few times a day, that's not really a big deal, is it? That's not, go there with me. An hour or two a week, maybe one Wednesday night a month, maybe a little tithe, a little offering, maybe a little help for Queen for a day, maybe with the food pantry, maybe a little offering here and there. That's not really a big deal, is it? But there are many people that know to live that, believe that, to know that, but they've never yet been fully persuaded to walk that walk. And here's what the king of, of Israel said. Almost you persuaded me to become a Christian. Then the apostle Paul was ministering to Felix. And Felix was the governor of, of Judea. And they were talking, and Paul was talking about Calvary, talking about the blood, talking about Jesus, virgin born, went through the whole synopsis of, of our, our faith. And Felix looked at Paul and said, listen, I'm busy right now. Come back at a more convenient season. Now, I know nobody here when they turned 18 said, you know, 
I'm going to live like hell until I'm 30, and then I'm going to get saved. Do we have any, anybody be honest enough to say that? I know I did. I said, I'm going to party. I'm going to party like there's no tomorrow. Man, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm just going to go after it. And then when I get 30, I'm going to go to church and find me a Christian girl, hello, and get married and have Christian children and serve God. Here's what Felix said. I'm busy right now. Come back at a more convenient season. Don't allow stuff. Don't allow your job. Don't allow any mindset that would stop you from becoming and doing what God wants you to become. And then there was Festus. Festus was the king of Agrippa. And Paul had an audience with Festus, and he shared the same truth, virgin born, his death, his resurrection. And Festus looked at Paul and said, Paul, much knowledge hath made thee mad. In other words, Paul, you are crazy. And, you know, when you think about what we believe and what we pursue, we really are crazy. We really are crazy. I mean, that, that a baby was born without the sperm from a man, that a man walked on water, that a man turned water into wine, that a man raised the dead, that a man resurrected and went to hell and took away the keys of hell and of death, that a man gave the church all power to go in his name, that a man that said, one day I'm coming back and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then you with your life, I mean, if you really believe, I mean, <laughs> you really believe that, that's crazy. But it's biblical. Philippians 2 and 15 said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, see, that's the truth that we believe, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and on that day of day when God reads the will and start passing out rewards, we're going to stand and we're going to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not just because you believed, not just because you knew, not just because you were persuaded, but because you were fully persuaded and you pursued the, the, the goals and the priorities Welcome home, son, daughter, amen. I close with this visual. If this Bible were a piece of iron, the same size, same dimension, almost exactly, it'd be worth $4. If I took this iron and made horseshoes, it would be worth $12. If I took this iron and I made needles, it would be worth $3,500. If I took this iron and made parts for watches, it would be worth $300,000. This is you. What is your worth? You compromise and sell out for a few horseshoes. Will you stay kind of focused and become needles? Or will you pursue the excellence of ministry, the excellence of service, and will you become all God wants you to become? This week, Gerald, and the past, it seemed like the past two weeks had just, whew, it was like, it was Monday, and then it was Sunday. Can anybody relate? I remember it was Christmas, now it's Easter. Time is not on our side. The Rolling Stones had it all wrong. 
Time is not on our side. Time is taking opportunity, and time is taking potential, and time is taking value that if we don't do something this week to become more like Christ, we probably won't do it the following week. It's your week. You determine what you're going to praise in, what you're going to pray in, what you're going to worship in, what your week is going to be like. And if, if, if the enemy has his way, he'll wear you out. He'll focus on money. He'll focus on bills. He'll focus on marriage. He'll focus on children that you won't have time or have the ability to focus on the things of God. Or will you turn this week into a week of prayer, of fasting, of restoration, of reading, of studying, helping somebody, getting involved, following the nudges and the unctions of God? It's in your hands. You decide what you're going to do with your week. Thank you for this season together. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the ability to sow in an offering, my tithe and offering. I brought a song this morning. I brought an offering this morning. And I brought a word this morning. I did exactly what you've called me to do on this Sunday. And because I tithe of my week and I gave you the first day, because I tithe my finances and I gave you the first of my income, because I tithe my hobbies and I put an offering in to support the kingdom. I am blessed going in. I am blessed going out. I am the head and not the tail. I will loan this week and not borrow. People will run to me and put money in my bosom. It will be pressed down, shaped together, and running over. I speak that for myself and every person in this house that hears this word. Let us not just be hearers only, but let us be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. And they all said, Amen. We'll give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. It's one minute after 12, and this has been a great day. I want to give you a chance to sow into the kingdom.